So last time we had, we were cut a little bit short and you had a list of things that you still, you know, wanted to go over. I know I had a few questions that I wanted to ask. Um, I think the main, the main part that I sort of wanted to round up maybe a little bit more clearly was, you know, we spoke about eating for perimenopause and Alzheimer's prevention. And we sort of covered the, um, you know, reducing refined carbohydrates and sugar and was there, was there more there that we could sort of sync up a little bit? Yeah, I really felt like I wanted to kind of get into more detail and, and give your audience kind of like a list of, of, you know, you know, say the three or four major things to work on when you're trying to prevent Alzheimer's and trying to, you know, get through perimenopause and menopause gracefully, just so that, just so that your audience can have like a, a good, a really good base to work on. And then they can go from there. I kind of felt like, oh my God, we had, I had so much to say and I felt like I was all over the place. <laughs> There was so much great and information. maybe, yeah, there, there was just so much. And um, so I kind of actually took a little bit of time this morning to kind of write it out so that I can stay on, um, you know, just stay on course and be able to, so that people can write this down if they want to. And just, just so they know and understand what to focus on because it can be so overwhelming. So, um, should we could just get right into it. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, you know, just to start, I really want women to understand that perimenopause is a very critical time in our lives to do as much as we can to stay healthy in our aging years uh, after, you know, 50, 60, when we, once we get into menopause. And the two, you know, balancing our hormones and um, dealing with our traumas and all of that kind of stuff in perimenopause. Um, either increases the risk of us getting Alzheimer's or decreases the risk. And just as one example, if when we're in perimenopause, we can have high estrogen at times and low estrogen at times. And if we have low estrogen, what can happen is, um, for one, low estrogen increases the um, formation of plaque in our brains, and that plaque can lead to Alzheimer's. And two, if we have low estrogen, um, just as an example, that leads to insulin resistance. So that means that um, when we eat something, our blood sugar uh, has these insulin sensors on our cells, and it either can um, allow the cells to open up and the blood sh the, the sugar from the food we've eaten go into the cells, or the cells resist it. And that's what insulin resistance is. The cells don't want to open up and, and take in that sugar from what we've eaten. And when we have insulin resistance, we start to gain weight. So I know so many women in perimenopause years are dealing with weight gain because we're becoming more and more insulin resistant. And that can be due to stress and that can be due to low estrogen, moments of low estrogen. So there's just, there's so many little, um, jewels, so many little, uh, connections that lead us to these symptoms. When we start in perimenopause, we can get hot flashes, we can gain weight, we can have memory issues, we can have brain fog. And this goes, sometimes we're good. Sometimes we're not sometimes. And this goes on for years and years. Right. And everyone says it's normal. There's nothing you can do. And It is normal, um, but there's definitely things that you can do. Um, insomnia, depression and anxiety becomes a huge thing for women. And I think we spoke about this last time that when we get in our perimenopause years, we go see our doctor. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Okay, here's um, an antidepressant. And so it's our job to take responsibility for our health and really become very in tuned and intuitive on what our body's symptoms are telling us. And then we have to go forth and decide or find, um, you know, your tribe that can help you deal with those symptoms. Yeah, even since our last chat, like knowing Uh-huh. that, I've, I've recognized that, like, I'd be like, oh, why am I so anxious? And then I'll like, look at what 
phase of my cycle I'm in, I'm like, yes. okay, well, at least I have somewhat of an explanation. Now I know what I can sort of help to, you know, exactly. counter that a little bit. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's so powerful to take those. And it's like, thank you, body. Thank you for giving me this symptom and being like, hey, like, here I am, please pay attention, do something for me because I'm not right. And then, and but then for, for so many women, it's like, well, I have these symptoms, but I don't know what to do, you know? So here, here are some things that um, I really think are important for women to focus on. And it will, it, there, I, I mean, there's, there can be many things, but I chose three and I'm going to stick to it <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah. Um, so the first one is balancing blood sugar. And it sounds so simple and um, we've heard it all the time. And, but many people think, you know, I don't have diabetes. I don't need to worry about balancing my blood sugar, but balancing your blood sugar keeps your cortisol and your insulin low. And in turn, that then keeps your hormones balanced. And as we get older, like I said before, when our hormones become imbalanced, our insulin um, becomes imbalanced and we just become more resistant to the food that we consume um, on a cellular level. And so what imbalances blood sugar? Um, eating three to five times a day, um, eating more less than three hours before you go to bed. Ladies, you're not going to like this one. Drinking alcohol, especially before you go to bed. Like if you drink it within three hours before going to bed, not good for balancing blood sugar. Stress really inhibits um, our cells to take in the sugar from the glucose from what we eat. So what happens with stress is that when we're stressed, cortisol goes up. Um, Insulin resistance, meaning our cells just kind of stay closed basically in a very uh, layman term. Um, And then the sugar can't go in. And then what happens is we just become more and more and more stressed and then our bodies become imbalanced. So paying attention to stress is like a huge, huge part of this. Um, And then lack of sleep also imbalances blood sugar. So stress, eating three to five times a day, and there's many more, but, and and lack of sleep, those three things imbalance our blood sugar. And then how do we balance our blood sugar? Well, one, we try to reduce our stress. We understand where it comes from and that's mental and physical stress, right? So, um, you know, I could be feeling really good physically, but mentally I'm tired behind my eyes. I feel that that tiredness. Um, I can't think straight. Um, and to be honest, I just want to not talk to anybody. There's like a little depression behind there and you just kind of deny that and ignore it and think that you're fine because you physically feel okay. Um, so to balance, you want to, uh, practice time-restricted eating, which I talk about a lot in my book, I finally got my last print. So two little F words um, talks about fasting and feasting. So time restricted eating, I applied to my life about eight years ago, and it has changed my life in more ways than one. Um, It has helped balance my hormones and not that I'm not all over the place. Sometimes it has helped with inflammation from endometriosis And um, it's a lifestyle thing. This isn't a diet. This is something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life, time-restricted eating. That's another thing. Like we could have a whole hour of talking about time-restricted eating. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to balance blood sugar is, yes, reducing stress. Exercise, great, great way to help balance blood sugar. You know, just being um, after you eat, go for a walk. It, it can be that simple in order to balance blood sugar. So what we're trying to avoid when I talk about balancing blood sugar, we don't want these spikes going up and down, up and down all day. And that's what happens when we eat three to five times a day. That's what happens when we eat um, or when we're really stressed because our bodies can't handle, we're already resistant and then we eat and it just makes it the body even more stressed. Um 
trying, the goal is to attain metabolic flexibility. And I think we spoke about this before where uh, now my body can go from using ketones, uh, which is a source of fat uh, in my body as, as energy, or it can use glucose as energy. And that is key. That is what we want to attain. And it does take a while for some, it takes longer than others, but I know after about 14 hours, I can check my ketones and I'm already in ketosis now. That took a while for me to have, for that to happen. And, you know, reducing refined carbohydrates. So, you know, that's, you know, I don't care what kind of bread you're eating. It's not just white bread. It's any kind of bread, pasta, um, um, you know, any kind of boxed food, all of that kind of stuff does not help balance our blood sugar. So those I think are really important also for reducing blood sugar. Don't eat three times, uh, three hours before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst things that we could do. If that's, if there's one thing you could do to balance your blood sugar, don't eat three times, three hours before you go to bed or drink alcohol. That's yeah. a game changer for many, many people. I've put people on time-restricted eating where they do not change their diet at all, but they only eat within a certain window. They've lost weight. They've gotten off their diabetes medication, their insulin, and their um, high blood pressure medication. Just through taking a certain amount of hours in the day and eating, and then the rest not eating, not wow. changing their diet at all. So it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely noticed that the few times that I have, like, and I also noticed when I am following like a time restricted eating, and even just like I started trying again with 13 hours, now I'm up to 16 again, but I have so much more energy because my yes. body's not like bogged down with digestion permanently, you know? That's right. Bogged down with digesting, digesting, because it does take a lot of energy to do that. But it's also it's cleaning out your system slowly, right? So when you are fasting for 16 hours and eating for eight, just as an example, um, depending on who you speak to, there is a system within your body called autophagy, that starts to wake itself up after about 16 hours, some say 13. I think it depends on the person. There's no like specific time. Yeah. But when autophagy happens, you're literally cleaning out dead cells, cells that aren't serving a purpose anymore. Like it is cleaning up and detoxifying you from the inside out. So you will get more energy. Everyone I put on time-restricted eating they think they're not going to have more energy and it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And it does take a couple of days or it can take a couple of weeks, but it makes a huge, huge difference. And just as a side note, so as women and we're still cycling, we do want to pay attention. So the first um, part of our cycle, it's cool to fast for 16, eight. Um, and then uh, taking Dr. Mindy Pelz's information and her amazing um, amount of research, we shouldn't fast for as long uh, on the second side, on the second part of our cycle, just because we want to build progesterone. And in order to build progesterone, we need good carbs like sweet potatoes. um, And we shouldn't fast for long. With that said, you know, um, I just kind of go with what my body tells me if I wake up and I'm hungry, really hungry, Um, and I'm not in that part of my cycle, I'm going to eat anyway. Um, But for the most part, it's probably a good idea to do, you know, 1410 for the second part of your cycle. And then 18, uh, 16, eight, or even longer, when you start to bleed, just go for it. Yeah, I just they Hay House or whatever had a promotion for Mindy's book, and she was hosting Mm. three day water fast. So I had gotten her book and read it. And I was like, just confirmed everything that you'd said about you know eating with our fa- our cycles and the different phases yeah. so amazing like I just loved every part of it it is so amazing it's so detailed for us right like this yeah. is this is research done for women on women by women <laughs> and that's kind of how it should be um also, just to note, you know, when we're going into longer fast, three-day water fast, or um, a fasting mimicking diet, or even a 24-hour fast. So 
any kind of fasting, what it does is it, it creates um, a type of stress. It's called hormetic stress. And this is good, acute stress. If I go in my sauna, I'm causing acute stress, hormetic stress. And what that does is it enables the body to become very adaptive and used to stress and be able to handle stress um, much better than if it were to be a chronic form of stress. And so if you're really stressed, if you're going through something um, that is causing you a lot of stress, I don't recommend fasting for a long period of time. Keep it to the time-restricted eating and then just wait until your body is balanced and can handle that form of stress. Um, mm. I've made the mistake in the past of just going hard and thinking that I'm doing right for my body and and I kind of paid for it. It took me a little longer to you know, reset and get back to it. For sure. Yeah. I did not participate in the three day water fast for those reasons. I was like, I'm just not, that's not the season right right now. And look at the season two now. Right. So we have to think about season. Anybody living in Canada should not be doing (laughs) long fasts until the spring, but just put it that way. Juice fast. I don't care if you want to call fasting juice, uh, juice fast, but anything like that, we have to pay attention to our surroundings as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Get too cold and too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so second, I thought, so blood sugar. And then second, I really felt like sleep was, um, a really, really important thing to focus on. Um, yeah, I had so much great feedback, even from that little, um, piece you shared about the glymphatic system. So many people had never heard of that and were so fascinated. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So just to to quickly say the glymphatic system, not the lymphatic system, the glymphatic system is a system within our brain, the cerebral spinal fluid. When we fall asleep at a certain time in our sleep cycle, our brain cells shrink by 60%. The cerebral spinal fluid comes in and cleans out all of those toxins of the day. Well, maybe even more, I don't know. And so we need to honor our sleep cycles. Our sleep cycles are every 90 minutes. And apparently we go through about four to six, maybe five to six sleep cycles in a night. And like certain parts of our sleep cycles do different things. Um, Within those sleep cycles, I can't say exactly which ones, but you know, uh, it helps build our immune system. If we don't sleep properly, we have much more of a chance of getting sick. I mean, that's just um, show examples of moms and dads having children and not sleeping well. You get sick more often, right? It helps repair our muscles. That's such an important thing overnight. Um, It helps retain memories. Um, It does. It helps reduce inflammation. Sleep does so much. It's such an important thing to do and honor every night. So how do we practice with like a good quality um, practice to, to pay attention to every night. I can't say enough about blue blockers. I love blue blockers. I've been using them probably for about six years now. I put them on two hours before I go to bed. Yes. You look like a nerd. Who cares? Um, (laughs) Get everybody to do it in their family and then you don't have to (laughs) worry about it. And some people will say, well, I've got my lighting um, goes down to like blue blocker light. But the, the, the difference is, you know, if you go to the bathroom and you turn the light on um, most of the time, it's not going to be a blue blocker light. And that just completely ruins it. It's the last thing that I take off. I turn the lights off and I take my blue blockers off. Why is that so important? So um, uh, this can be another topic um, of ours, but we have something called our circadian rhythm. It's, uh, we have many different circadian rhythms within our body, but we have, um, a a main circadian rhythm and the, the main, uh, how would I say it? Computing the computer is in our brain. It's called the SNC, I believe. Oh my gosh. Let me think about that. Um, oh, it's going to come back to me. Anyways, it's located in our brain and, Um, it is affected. One of the things that affects it is light. 
So if we um, are going to, if we are laying in bed and watching our computer screens or our TV or reading a book with the light on, our system is saying, oh, it's not time to turn down um, all of the things, all of the systems that were turned up in the day to get us going and to keep us awake and to um, give us energy. If we constantly have blue light in our eyes at night, our system isn't ready to turn down and say, okay, it's time to um, turn on melatonin, for example. So melatonin is only um, awakened at night. So if I put my blue, blue blocker glasses on, my body is like, oh, okay, it's time to turn down cortisol, um, stop digestion, turn on melatonin and all of the other million things that needs to be turned on in order to go to sleep and detoxify. Mm -hmm. So these blue blockers, what they do is they, they block the blue light and they tell, a, they tell our system that it's time to go to bed. It's time to settle down. It's time to create melatonin. And melatonin is not just used, um, it's not just created in order to sleep. It's an extremely, extremely potent chemical um, for our immune system. So it mm -hmm. definitely, pay, it definitely um, is used at night in order to build our immune system and to keep our immune system strong. Interesting. That ties in, I was um, speaking with a, a pharmacist in the States a couple of years ago now, but he was talking a lot about blue light toxicity and how yeah. we have so much blue light coming into us that there's actually like a whole set of symptoms now uh, under blue light toxicity that we're dealing with. And immune suppression was one of them. Yes. Immune suppression, um, testosterone, any of our hormones, um, anxiety, depression, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, like it's so, it is so correlated. And if you really think about how we evolved, we, we had the natural light, the sun went down and, and then our eyes, because our eyes are literally projecting into our brain telling us, okay, it's daylight. Okay. It's time to wake up. I'm going to produce cortisol. I'm going to do all of these things in order to have energy. And then the the sun goes down and it's like, oh, okay, it's projecting into my eyes. It's time to settle down. I'm going to produce melatonin, all of that. And so the more we can honor our circadian rhythm, um, the better off we will be. So how do we do that? How do we honor our circadian rhythm when it comes to sleep? Um, one of the main things, strangely enough, is to see light in the morning, sunlight. First thing in the morning, if you can see sunlight, which is going to be really hard for us in, on Vancouver Island, um, but if you can see sunlight first thing in the morning, it helps reset your circadian rhythm. And then using blue blockers at night. So you're really helping the body um, be used to like just that natural cycle of sunlight and then darkness, sunlight, darkness. Um, another thing in order to get really quality sleep is sleep in a, a dark, cool room. Mm. Our bodies, this is another, another thing. What happens when we're starting to fall asleep, our body goes down uh, at one or two decimals of temperature. And what that does is that initiates melatonin production that initiates other things. So if it's too warm, certain systems, certain chemicals are not going to be like, oh, it's time for me to do my job. Mm -hmm. Right. So just sleeping in a cool, dark room will um, help balance your circadian rhythm by being able to sleep properly and by being able to activate certain things that should be activated at night. People. And a few decimals can be all the difference. Absolutely. I mean, just think about it. When you get a temperature, it only, it can only go up a few decimals and then it's considered a temperature, right? Right. So if I'm not, if I'm above 98.6, whatever a, a normal temperature of our body should be, if I'm 98.9, I have a temperature. There's something mm -hmm. going on. I'm, my body is creating heat in order to destroy a virus. So that's why it's really important also, if your temperature isn't above 102 for a couple of days, do not take anything. Your immune system is doing exactly what it should be doing. It is heating it up in order to kill the virus. Mm -hmm. And so if you bring your room temperature down and that produces melatonin, that will also help with your immunity. Exactly. And so many other things that we don't know, right? It, the body 
is brilliant. It's doing what it needs to do. We as humans are just stopping it. We're preventing it from doing its natural course on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing for quality sleep, again, no alcohol or, or food three hours prior to sleeping. Um, see light first thing in the morning and, you know, um, magnesium citrate. I take magnesium citrate every night. I think it's brilliant for some people. They actually benefit taking magnesium. Oh, not citrate. Sorry. Bisglycinate citrate is if you've, if you're constipated, take some citrate. Um, but magnesium bisglycinate is just does wonders. You know, our magnesium does so many things in our system that, um, we just don't honor and our food is so even if you eat a really good whole foods diet is lacking magnesium. So taking magnesium bisglycinate at night, I take between 200 and 400 milligrams a night. Um, it definitely helps with sleep and it definitely helps with all of the things that it needs to do at night while we're, while we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. I've noticed a difference so much, like all my husband, myself and my son all have a bottle of magnesium on our nightstands and take it religiously because it's such a difference. Amazing. And I think, you know, I, as a kid suffered from growing pains as they call them Mm. growing pains. And, you know, this was in the seventies. So they didn't know at the time or, you know, wasn't aware of it. I swear it was because I was lacking magnesium and like other crucial minerals. And if I had had that in my diet, um, or taken a supplement, I don't think I would have had growing pains. I mean, I didn't grow very much since then, but it, I think it would have made a difference. So any, any kids suffering with, um, with growing pains, um, consider starting to take magnesium bisglycinate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me I need a refill. My son had, um, I don't know if it was actually restless legs, but he would always say my legs are sleepless. I have sleepless legs and magnesium seemed to help. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then third, so blood sugar balance, and sleep, um, you know, we, we kind of touched upon this becoming more intuitive and in tuned with what your body's telling you. And this is on a hormonal level. This is on, you know, the knowledge is power. If we don't know or, or, or are even aware that, um, we're not sleeping very well or that, you know, our bodies can get so adaptive and think that, having brain fog or not having very much energy or having a lull at three o'clock in the afternoon is that, that it's just, it's just my body. That's, that's how it's been forever. And that's how it is. Um, I'm telling you from experience, like I've had all of that and I've changed things and implemented protocols and I've, I've been able to improve that. So, but I've only been able to improve it because I've become aware of how my body is feeling. So you know, for example, I've been recording my cycle, probably most likely because I've got stage four endometriosis, which I would love to another time speak about endometriosis. One in 10 women have it and it's brutal. And um, it takes about seven to eight times to go see a doctor to be diagnosed with with endometriosis. And um, it's, yeah, it's brutal. Um, but I, so for that, because of that, I've been recording my cycle every day for years and years and years and years. And I think it's such a powerful thing for women to understand what they go through and then be able to see, um, you know, oh, this is what happens the week before my cycle. I didn't realize it happened every month, you know, or, well, I'm, I've got anxiety and I thought it was only for like a couple of days, but it's been like four weeks. And so, you know, because we're busy, we're not paying attention to that. So every night I sit down, I've got, um, I just have these symptoms or, um, yeah, basically symptoms of, uh, what I go through on a daily basis. And I just write, you know, from one to five or, you know, less or more, whatever it may be, but I highly recommend, um, uh, recording your cycle every day. Cause that will empower you. And, and that will, um, allow you to become more of your own doctor and understand what you're going through and then find someone like me or other people, other practitioners 
that know what to do with those symptoms and not just say it's normal and that there's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, I find um, <clears throat> so often that we, you know, we don't really realize how poorly we feel until we start yes. to feel better again. And you don't sort of know to implement these things until you start paying attention and being aware of them. And, you know, there's so many women that I speak with who are, and I mean, myself included, you just are sometimes just blindsided by your luteal phase and you're like, what is going on? And then you take a look and you're like, right. <laughs> Me included as well. Like I'm not yeah. perfect either. I'll go through, I'll go through days and my husband will be like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's usually my husband who will notice first for sure. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. So very, very powerful. So the thing is, is if we're in our cycle year still, ovulation is when we make hormones. So if we don't ovulate, more of a chance that we are not making the right amount of hormones and then therefore we've got hormonal imbalance. So ovulation is really, really important um, for us to pay attention to when we're ovulating. And it happens like, you know, maybe two to three days out of, out of the month. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. So begin to think about, so this is to become more intuitive and um, in tuned in, in what your body's telling you. Beginning to think about, you know, we spoke about this a little bit past programs um, and that we just uh, assume that it's ours and that um, to maybe start to think about, are these programs that were put on to me from my mom, from my dad, from society in general, are they serving me? Are they actually what I believe? Um is this a pattern? Is this a program? Is this a uh, personality trait that I want to continue? Um, I don't know if you've ever, do you, you know, Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, is brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's um, completely changed my way of thinking, it empowered me to start being aware, especially when you're going to be triggered, put it, you're definitely going to be triggered. Um, <laughs> because the more aware you become of these patterns and these way of thinking, th these, these thought processes that were just instilled in you and you never really thought of them because they were just natural to you. Um, and then you begin to think, well, but is that really how I think? Is that really what I believe in? Or was that just instilled on me? Um, it can change your life. It can relieve depression. It can relieve anxiety. It can improve your health. Um, people just, I don't think, realize, and I didn't realize either, how much programs influence your overall health. Mm. And I have... I do believe that if we don't pay attention to that and honor that and um, try to break those habits and try to break those programs, that we will just continue that ancestral cycle. And I am all about trying to change that. Um, it's going to be a lifetime. <laughs> but yeah, I do think it, 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 is an extremely important topic that people don't really assume is something for optimal health. Um, that's interesting putting it into the health perspective. I've been talking a lot about that actually, and I love reading books that force me to question my own narratives and my own beliefs. And I've been talking a lot about this online, just about questioning mm -hmm. our own beliefs and why we believe just because the themes right now, especially for astrology, the eclipse season, like these themes of judgment and polarity and black and white thinking and all these topics that are coming up in the collective, you know, we really do need to be in a, in this time questioning ourselves. And is this actually what I believe, or is this being pushed upon me? So I've never really yes. put it in, in the perspective of, of health, but I will share that when I did ayahuasca, I just did one ceremony, but one of the main themes was that was that like this depression and anxiety and sort of like agony that you have emotionally is not yours. It's a mm. costume that you're wearing and you need to take it mm. off now. Like that mm. was placed on you through your family. And that was like so powerful. Wow. And it, it, it has been like a process to try to put that down, but it is definitely a program that's yeah. in there. Um, 
Yeah. So I will share with you. I had, um, I have a light healer that has been in my life for years and years now, and she's brilliant. And she has, you know, when you're in something, you can't see it. So that's why it's so easy to, you know, tell your partner, Oh my God, why are you doing that? They're like, I'm not doing like, I don't understand, you know, because when you're in it, you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's, there's an emotional attachment to it. And, um, I had my first session years and years ago with her and online or on, on the phone. It's not like I have to see her. Um, and she kept saying that there's this black tar all over my body. And she's like, but it doesn't feel like it's yours. Mm. And she's like, it's heavy. You've been carrying it forever, but it's not yours. And it's time to let it go. Interesting. And I won't get into like all of the detail, but it blew my mind. I knew who it was from. I knew I realized that it wasn't mine and that changed everything for me. That made me realize for one, I'm an empath. I carry everybody's pain and um, discomfort and everything else. And not just from family, just the collective. Mm -hmm. So that allowed me to then become more in tune with sitting with myself and being like, okay, is this like mine or is it just that I'm feeling everybody else's energy? And it's usually both to be totally honest. Yeah. And that is such a powerful realization when I realized that and it was so freeing, like, okay, this yes, I'm not trying to figure out what's wrong with me because it's not mine to deal with. Exactly. It's easier to let things go when you realize it's not yours and you don't you just don't realize it's not yours, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all part of breaking those patterns and, and really cultivating you. And the best part is when we get into perimenopause, it is our time. Like men look out, we are dangerous. We are (laughs) a threat because we become more and more in tune with ourselves. We don't put up a crap anymore. And we just become so much more confident. We become what we always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And so if we can encourage people, women younger than us to become that even before they get into perimenopause, then all the power to us. And we have done our job for, for women to understand like um, we're very powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that process I just wanted to touch back on is I don't remember where I learned it, but it was part of like a spiritual process as we as women are naturally empathic. Some more than others, depending, Mm -hmm. I guess, how open you are, but we will, we will take on, especially like in a workplace environment or in the family environment, we will Mm -hmm. do the emotional labor and we will carry that emotional labor and that our menstrual cycles are actually there to, to flush that away. And so the emotions that come up during the luteal phase are highlighting what you've been carrying, what needs to change and what needs to be released with the menstrual cycle. And even knowing that process is like, okay, so what's coming up? I'm not just spazzing out over anything. These are things that I need to look at, things that I've been carrying and that need to be released. And I think even just the awareness of that cycle, you know, helps to release it and helps to not carry it. And then- So true. I totally agree. And, um, you know, the more we can release that, you know, as just as women, I think, so yes, you said, you know, we take on the emotional part of our family and everything, and then we're left with dealing with it in our menstrual cycle, right? When we start to bleed. And I used to um, carry that that as pride and as a badge of like, look at everything I can do. I've got control. I can, I can take care of this. I can handle this. I can handle this. And I, because I guess that's how I was taught. I don't remember my mom saying that it's just, it's an energy, right? Like it's just, that's what you do. And then when I read Joe Dispenza's book, um, breaking through the habit of being yourself, um, I was like, oh, I don't think I should wear this as a badge of honor. I should like actually not do that. And people have to take responsibility for themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just, it was, it's just like, it just goes on and on and on. And it just, uh, my, my codependence with family members, even with my husband completely changed after I read that book. Um, I don't see codependence any longer as, 
of a good thing and something that I want to continue. And my lineage is done. I'm not having children. I want to do it for myself, but I know I'm doing it for just the collective in general as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, a- that it's huge. It is. It's very freeing. <laughs> yes. Once you realize you don't have to fix someone else's emotions, it's like half the work is, is gone. Like exactly that's for you to deal with. And I don't need to be upset about that. Yeah. And it's not being selfish. It's not being heartless. It's just, it's the truth. It's not our responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we're just trained otherwise. So being able to recognize that and let it go is such is such a huge piece in that healing. And um, yeah. yeah, recycles through so much of, of our health and our mental health and, you know, just makes a little bit more ease and less work to deal with. Yes. And some people um, that are close to you will take it as um, an offense. And again, your job through that change is to continue to tell yourself that that's how they feel. You're not, you're not being mean. You're not being heartless. You're actually doing them a favor and Mm -hmm. you're doing yourself a favor by, you can only take responsibility for yourself and you can only, um, show support by not, um, betraying yourself. And, And we, we tend to do that. Right. Yes, which is another point that I wanted to touch base on before we go there. I was just reading, um, oh, what is his name? Marshall, I don't remember. Nonviolent Communication is the book, Marshall Rosenberg. And it's speaking about how we, um, how to communicate with each other uh, in a way that is non-confrontational and non-judgmental on a personal level and a global level. But it speaks about exactly that, like turning our words back into... Um, what I need and what I need from you and, um, you know, what I, I need more communication because I'm not feeling respect. It forces it back on me rather than saying like, you're not right. giving me respect. You're not so exactly judgment play and it reverses it. And so when we're only taking care of ourselves, it's just so much easier. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Taking care of ourselves and supporting our loved ones. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but that it's not our job to, um, emotionally take care. (laughs) And then, and then again, yes, it's that, it's all that betrayal. I just feel like when we get into our perimenopause and apparently in our menopause years, we're over betraying ourselves. That's just not what we any longer do. And in turn, if we can learn that earlier, then we will become more powerful in ourselves. And then in turn, we can then help the collective. Mm -hmm. But that is not how society um, portrays how we should act and be. You know, there's guilt. There's um, there's just so much. And so, yeah, that book was um, a, a life changer for me. Joe Dispense is amazing on his own. Um, but that book really, really, my personality, how I grew up. Um, and it's nobody's fault. This is like you know, from generation to generation to generation, it's, it's, I'm not blaming my mom. I'm not blaming my grandmother. It's just how it was. Yeah. And, but it's my job to change that. And so that's, that's a daily thing. Mm-hmm. And so this self-betrayal, I did wanted to dive more into this because I think it's so prevalent for women in so many areas of our lives and definitely as we get older you know we're sort of a lot done with it but I know even from a meditation perspective I've spoken about even self-betrayal in in the sense where you know even if I say that I want to do something I say I want to eat better I say I want to exercise and then I don't Mm. that becomes a bit of a self-betrayal and it becomes like a, a like a dissonance in my energy field. And then it also helps me like contributes to my stress and contributes to my things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, not betraying our goals and ourselves and what we want to be doing um, is so big. And so the the idea of that, when it comes to like our health and eating and food, you know, I wanted to talk more about that. Um, Yeah, sure. Uh, Have you ever, did we talk about this last time? Have you read the book Atomic Habits? No, I've listened to a few podcasts summarizing it. So I've gotten a few, you know, gems out of there, but I haven't read the whole thing. Yeah. So I didn't even read the whole thing because all I needed was the fact that um, if you just increase um, your habits by 1% every day, then um, basically you are doing, 
yourself uh, justice in the long term. So when I when when we talk about betrayal, when it comes to food and exercise, just as an example, there's many ways of betraying ourselves, right? By, you know, um, by, you know, um, helping others when you haven't served yourself yet, just as an, like, like, you know, um, my husband wants to do these things and wants this for dinner. Okay. I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to do that for him. That's betraying myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I will, but I'm not going to do it because I'm betraying myself. I'm going to do it because I want to. Right. But when it comes to food and exercise, I think what happens with feeling like we've betrayed ourselves is that we, we try to create unattainable goals and society shows us every day, these unattainable goals, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you need to exercise this amount for this long every day or this many times a day. And if you don't do that, then you're not doing good. And it's like, that doesn't help serve anybody unless you've got all of the time in the world and you're a super um, enthusiastic person and that that's what your main goal is. Mm -hmm. So in this book, Atomic Habits, he basically, basically what I got out of it was that if you increase your habits by 1% every day in the long term, you are going to have what you want instead of working on, I wish I had the book with me. It, it was, it wasn't about setting goals. It was, um, gosh, what was it? It was the complete opposite of setting goals because goals, um, just set you up for disappointment Mm -hmm. because you set, you set these goals and I wish I remembered anyways, everybody should read it so that they can know what I'm talking about. Um, you set yourself up for these goals. Oh yeah. So here's an example. So I started at the gym about six months ago with my husband and, you know, we've been in and out of the gym for years and years. It never becomes a lifestyle. It's like, I'm going to do it. Then something happens. I get stressed out. I hurt myself and then I don't go back. And it drove me crazy. Cause I'm like, this is like my missing link. Like I'm a nutritionist. I'm all about optimal health. I do everything good because I want to, not that it's, you know, work for me, but I just can't set the goal of going to the gym all the time or just working out in general, to be totally honest. And then what we did, instead of setting our goal to be, you know, I'm going to have a six pack in three months, or I'm going to be this strong in that many, all we did was congratulate ourselves for showing up every day. That's it. Mm-hmm. And it kept us going because if I set myself up, if my goal was in three months to have a six pack and have this much muscle gained, I probably would have disappointed myself, sure. but just being able to show up, it's like, it, it made all of the difference. And it made me understand that 1% every day really does get you to your goal. Now I know the gym and working out and building muscle is going to be a lifetime for me. I just feel it because my goal is not, um, you know, anything um, on the outside. It just really is just showing up. If I'm not having a good day and I go to the gym and I don't do what I normally do, but I showed up, I'm good. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the same for me. I've started running. I've been running consistently for over a year now. And it's the same, like, even if I get out there and I walk, the yes. whole thing, at least I got out. Or if I come exactly. downstairs to Pilates and I just sit on my mat for 10 minutes and I'm, I'm in my clothes and I'm on my mat. Exactly. So letting go of that perfection and just, yeah, working. Yeah. And just those unattainable goals that society puts out there on TikTok and Instagram and wherever else. And, um, it's just, it doesn't work like that. I mean, it's proven over and over again. Like, look, I tried many, many times. It didn't work. Yeah. And, and now I know that it just is going to be part of my lifestyle. Just show up, just show up. You know, I think that that will. And then once we, once we stop betraying ourselves so much, it builds that confidence. It makes us feel like, Oh, I can do this. I don't need anybody else. Um, I know that I can do this. I just have to keep showing up. I just have to keep doing it. Yeah. And even with the um, intermittent 
fasting. Yes. I find the same. And that's why I think that um, fast like a girl was so helpful because the, to be able to fast for long amounts of time, like every day was just unattainable. But knowing that I can listen to my body and fluctuate when I need to is like, oh, okay, well, then I don't not striving for perfection anymore. And I do what exactly. I can in the phase that I'm in. And yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. it is that. Um, I mean, I say simple, but it is still really hard to do. <laughs> um, but it, that, that did completely change my mind. Just show up, just keep telling yourself, at least you showed up. Maybe you didn't walk for, you know, half an hour, but you did 15 minutes. That's okay. Because it builds trust between your physical body and the mind. It really does somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such good advice. Yep. So we're getting close to 10 o'clock here. Was there any, any final points you have? I think, I think that's it for, for, for this. Um, yeah. If anyone ever wants to have a consultation, get support, please reach out to me, um, through my website or honey and vanilla info at honeyandvanilla.com. Um, please get my book. You can yeah, order so it from me or through Amazon. There's tons of recipes. It helps you with time-restricted eating. Um, and yeah, just spread the word. I just want women especially to know that um, there's so many things we can do and that it's not going to be perfect all the time. Yeah. And again, that's just getting through, you know, yeah. And I think that's just such a huge piece for, you know, women, maybe it's at our age, but just letting go of that perfection and it's not going to be perfect all the time. And to just sort of either start again or start again, or just, you know, being able to continue on, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Same with that same theme of black and white thinking. It's exactly. Yeah. Health is not linear. <laughs> they make it look like it is, but it is not. Look, I'm an optimal health seeker. I've been doing this for over a decade and I still have my ups and downs, you know, it's, and, and it's to be expected. The point is how long it takes to recognize it and how long it takes to get out of that slump or out of that, those symptoms. And by having these tools, by what we spoke about today, I'm hoping these tools, this, this, these protocols will, will encourage women to start listening to their bodies and, become in tuned and understand how powerful we are and that we just need the right advice and the right tools in order to balance whatever's coming to us. There's always going to be an imbalance. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's always, go that's life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and just listening and, and becoming in tune, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. I think that thank was you another incredible conversation. Um, I definitely want to get your book. Uh, I'm sure the recipes are amazing as a chef. <laughs> they are, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, you too. Okay. okay. Thanks, Thanks Kasha. Bye. Bye.